Well, today's gospel has a lot of do's. Love our enemies, do good, lend without expecting return, be merciful, forgive, and give. Things to do. And there are two don'ts. Don't judge and don't condemn. Well, is this a case of earning God's favor? Is it a kind of works righteousness? Uh, a case of earning our salvation, justifying ourselves? And by the way, I think we all get a little uh, crown in, uh, a, a little gold in our crown for showing up this morning in this cold and windy day. So bless you for coming along. Well, is this a case of trying to earn God's favor? But wait, I thought Jesus died for our sins, that we are saved by his death on the cross, saved by grace through faith. Hey, I watch those football games and they put up the big sheet in the end zone before the guy goes to kick the extra point or the field goal. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever should believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. I thought I just had to say the sinner's prayer and I'm all set. I don't need to curry God's favor. So what's going on here? Is there something more to the Christian life? Is there something more today for us in the Christian life? Well, Dallard Willard says that forgiveness for our past and hope for the future is what he calls a diminished gospel. It's wonderfully true in what it affirms, but crippled in what it's missing. He says what's missing is the promise of life, an eternal kind of life. He says the concept that has restricted the Christian idea of salvation to mere forgiveness of sins has done inestimable harm to the church and God's purposes with us. The message of Jesus himself and of the early disciples was not just one of the forgiveness of sins, but rather was one of newness of life which, of course, involved forgiveness as well as his death for our sins. And yet that newness of life also offered much more. Well, our gospel passage this morning leads us directly into the much more. Not the much more to do, but the much more that leads to eternal life. Today's passage is in the context uh, of what has been referred to as the Sermon on the Plain. You know, in Matthew's Gospel, we have the Sermon on the Mount. Well, in this Gospel, Jesus has uh, gone up to a mountain uh, to pray, and he's chosen his 12 disciples to be his closest, uh, uh, because, you know, the Bible tells us that the people who followed him were also called disciples. But these are the 12 who he's called to learn his way uh, to be his special uh, ambassadors, mess messengers, fishers of men. And we learn that in verse 17 that he's come down from the mountain uh, and he's standing on a level place, hence the plain. And this is a little bit like the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus covers much of the same, some of the same ground, 
It's a bit shorter. Uh, he's speaking to a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people. A great multitude, the gospel tells us, of people from all over Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. And we're also told that there are people with diseases, people with troubled, who are troubled with unclean spirits. And most of what, what they know or have heard about the kingdom of God, about access to God, access to God's kingdom, has probably come mostly from observing and hearing the Pharisees. Hearing that the blessing and favor of God depended on their keeping all the law. The Ten Commandments, the Holiness Code of the Old Testament, and the Ceremonial Code, which is some 600 plus uh, commandments all put to, or laws all put together. The, the religion of the Pharisees, which these people would have experienced as harsh, burdensome, and certainly uninspiring. The Pharisees who, uh, as we read a couple of weeks ago, Jesus said, did not have the love of God in them. The Pharisees whose vision of God was woefully small and narrow. But there's something difficult, different about Jesus that these people notice. He's been healing people. He's been teaching in a different way about the kingdom of God. Something different than that religious system of the Pharisees. So they have come to be healed of their diseases and to hear him. To hear what he has to say to them. So what does he do? These people who come with great need, with desire to hear uh, about the new life, well, he gives them this impossible assignment, a kind of believing, a kind of uh, living or being that's far harder than just keeping a bunch of laws. And he also has a different thrust, doesn't it? He tells them, assigns them, tells them, you need to live this way, this life that runs entirely counter to your natural desires, your natural understanding, entirely counter to the cultural norms. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Turn the other cheek. If someone steals your property, don't go demand that they give it back. Love your enemies totally counter to the cultural norms and to our natural uh, way of being. Jesus gives them this way of life. He tells them they need to live this way of life. It's a radical life of other-oriented generosity and self-denial. Other-oriented generosity and self-denial. But it's also what we learn is that it's the way to abundant life. Remember, Jesus said in John's gospel, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the way to abundant life. This is the way to what we might also call the good life. And interestingly, Jesus has summed it up in the last verse before we get to our passage today 
when he says, as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. It's a new way of thinking. It's a new way of thinking. Well, what about this, this new life? Jesus says a couple things about it. He says that your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. Now, when Jesus says that we will become sons of the Most High, he's not saying that by doing these things, by being this way, by not doing some of these things, he's not saying that it's through those that we earn sonship with God. He's not saying that we earn God's favor as his sons. No, what he's saying is that when we live this life, we are actually being in the very present his sons and daughters. We are being like him, in fact, when we live this way. We are being like Jesus, his only son, when we live this way. He says, that God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Did that one go right by you when we read that? I have to say I've read this passage many, many times. And as I was thinking about this sermon for this morning and as I was reading that passage, that just jumped out to me. God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. God is kind to those who don't repay. God is kind for those who aren't thankful for what he's given them. God is kind to those who commit all kinds of crimes against humanity. And as we follow this way, this countercultural way, this way, this counterintuitive, we are actually being like God. So Jesus is saying, look, here's an opportunity to be like God. It's an invitation, if you will, to be like God. And of course, as children, I hope all of us have had the experience at one point or another in our lives when we saw how proud our parents were or how much joy they took in something we did. And as we live this new life, uh, that Jesus has called us to live this other-oriented life of generosity and self-denial, we will experience God's joy, God's pride in us as his children. We will be, we are living and experience the joy of sonship in that very life. But there's also something else as well. Rather than this, you know, Jesus imposing on us here a new law or a new way to curry God's favor, he's inviting us to a whole new life. He's inviting us. It's an invitation. It's not a prescription. Uh, it's not orders. It's an invitation to this new way of life, this abundant life that begins now and continues throughout this life. There's also reward. You know, we all look for purpose in life. 
I remember asking that question really hard in the summer after my really hard first year of law school. What is the meaning of this life? What is my purpose? Where do I find it? I think it's true, isn't it, that all of us want to do something meaningful. We want to have a purpose in life. And many often, we we talk about it often in terms of career. I notice a lot of young people want to work for nonprofits because they want to do something good. They want to do something helpful. They want to do something that has meaning. Or maybe they want to teach and teach in a disadvantaged, uh, teach disadvantaged populations or serve the poor in the medical field, whatever it is, looking for meaning, meaningful ways to work. And maybe others look for meaning in being really excellent at something, whether it's a, a sport or playing an instrument, whatever it is. But it's not just in our jobs, in our occupations, that we find meaning. The greater, what greater meaning can there be than to participate in the restoration project that God began in Jesus? The restoration project to reconcile all people to himself and to reconcile all people to one another. What? greater meaning, what greater purpose can we have than to do that? And part of the reward is to see some incremental change. It may only be incremental change around us, or it may only be just to know that we didn't add to the brokenness of the world when we decided to love an enemy and not strike out at her. To know that by our lives, we're advancing the kingdom of God where we are. That's what Jesus is inviting us to when he calls us to this counterintuitive way of life, really a life of reconciliation. He's inviting us to participate in the great restoration project that God began in him. Jesus also says in this passage, be merciful as your father, just as your father is merciful. And I want to concentrate on this just a little bit this morning, even though it's cold and windy. We could use some mercy right now. Uh, There's a folk singer-songwriter named Mary Gaucher has written a, a folk song. It's called Mercy Now. And it begins, my father could use a little mercy now. The fruits of his labor fall and rot slowly on the ground. His work is almost over. It won't be long. He won't be around. I love my father. He could use some mercy now. My brother could use a little mercy now. He's a stranger to freedom. He's shackled to his fear and his doubt. The pain that he lives in, it's almost more than living will allow. I love my brother. He could use a little mercy now. The next stanza is about my church and my country need a little mercy now. And then she says, every living thing could use a little mercy now. And she closes, yeah, 
we all could use a little mercy now. I know we don't deserve it, but we need it anyhow. We hang in the balance, dangle between hell and hallowed ground, and every single one of us could use some mercy now. Every single one of us could use some mercy now. Isn't that true? We live in a time where we desperately all need mercy, don't we? Time of shouting at one another, a time of judging, condemning, canceling, and on and on. We need mercy, more than a little mercy. Mercy, compassion, pity, forbearance toward an offender, towards an enemy. Mary Gauthier's on to something big, isn't she? We all need a little mercy. Who doesn't need mercy is probably a better question. You know, we all make mistakes. We forget things. We burn dinner. We spill milk. We hurt people's feelings. We say politically incorrect things when we don't even know they're politically incorrect until our children say, Dad. Uh, We make bad judgments. We cut people off in traffic. We run into other people's cars. We lose our tempers and on and on. The reality is we are the people in the crowd in this story. We're the people in the crowd when Jesus delivers the sermon on the plain. We're the people in the crowd when Jesus delivers the sermon on the mount. We're people who know we need help. We're people who know we need mercy. Often, we didn't even do what we did on purpose. We're just doing the best we could. And we already have enough guilt and shame. We can't take any more. We need others to cut us a break. And, of course, the good news is that God cuts us a break. And we know the Old Testament tells us in many places that God is gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God cuts us a break. It's his mercy, it's his compassion that led us to his, that led him to the grace in Jesus. He had compassion on humanity, and so he gave us a break in Jesus. So Jesus invites us again to be like God. Be merciful just as our Father is merciful, to participate in that great restoration project. To be merciful just as God is merciful, just as the word in the Greek can mean to the same extent. His mercy is boundless. It's because of his mercy that he's kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Can we be people of mercy? Can we be merciful and share in that project? Can we be merciful on those who cut us off when we're driving down the road? Can we be merciful to our parents who maybe let us down somehow? I know I had to come to grips at one point with my mother's failure and my father's failure, but 
at some point can we come to have compassion on them because we don't know what they went through. That person that cut us off in traffic, that person that yelled us in this, at us this morning, snapped at us for something small that we did. We don't know what maybe has happened to that person. Several years ago, I, I was involved in a lawsuit where a woman had rear-ended my client. Uh, and so I was taking the deposition of this woman that had rear-ended my client. Uh, and, and I asked her uh, what she had been doing just before the accident. And she said, I had just come from my therapist's office and learned that I had been abused as a child. Imagine how distracted she was as she was driving down the road. Could the person she hit have mercy on her? Not knowing what was going on in her life, in her head. Can we have mercy on our siblings? Can we have mercy on our coworkers? Not knowing what happened to them last night after they left work. Not knowing what's going on in their family. Can we have mercy on that person who holds up the line in the supermarket? Can we have mercy? We never know what people are living with. Jesus promises us some reward here too. He says, well, he doesn't have it in this passage, but we see it in Matthew's gospel, in the Sermon on the Mount, when he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We won't always receive mercy, but in fact, as we practice mercy, we will often receive mercy from those who have received it from us. So Jesus is inviting us to a new life in this passage today, a counterintuitive way to abundant life, to the good life. But we can't overpromise. It's not always easy. It doesn't always work, does it? We don't get, always get the measure for measure. We don't always receive mercy. It's not always exciting. It doesn't always feel meaningful. It doesn't always feel like we're having great purpose. In fact, it gets discouraging. Well, that's when we come around full circle to the question at the beginning. That's when we hold on to the future hope. That's when we hold on to the new heaven and the new earth and our life after death in God's presence. That's when we hold on to 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for us who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's when we hold on to the future hope that we have. Well, God is calling us to an abundant life. What is our vision of the kingdom of God? What is our vision of the abundant life? Do we want to be part of something big? Well, participating 
in the restoration project that God has become begun in Jesus is a pretty big project. We, with Jesus, can be building for the kingdom. What is our vision? What is our vision of our role in the kingdom of heaven? Does it need to be expanded today? In the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. take a moment come before the Lord tell the Lord where we need mercy where we need a little mercy now thank him for being merciful ask him to continue to show his mercy on us Let's take a moment and think of our vision of the kingdom of God. Ask God how we can participate in his great restoration project in Jesus. Let's just take another moment and ask God who we might show mercy to today. Who needs mercy? Our compassion, our love. Amen.